The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Carmen DeFalco of ESPN 1000's Carmen and Yurko and the Odds Couple. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So obviously I have to start off right away with your White Sox, the Lucas Giolito no-hitter last night. How nervous were you watching that one? I thought, uh, I mean, in the ninth inning on the, the the last ball in play, I thought for sure it was done. Um, you always get nervous. I mean, you know, it's it's like, it's just the nature of watching a game like that. I, I swear, I get nervous watching them when it's not even a team I have any interest in, to be honest, when you've got no connection to them. I still, it's it's amazing. I, I the, the closest I've ever come to seeing one in person is uh, a couple of one hitters. And even those like in the press box watching I, oh, Dallas Perez throw one a million years ago against the Cubs, you know, you're like, he's right there. And you, you, you kind of want to see it. You kind of want to be live to see it. So I think there, there, it's always a little nerve wracking. Um, and I thought that last ball, you know, cause you don't have the benefit of seeing where angle is positioned. And I just thought for sure the way that came off the bat, I'm like, well, that's it. And then when angle made the play, I couldn't believe it. So it's pretty cool. It's good. Lucas is a good story too. I mean, you talk about like a guy that has gone through the highs and lows ups and downs already. And he's like, I don't know, late twenties. I mean, at this point, it's not like he's even, he's even that old, but he was a top prospect and really highly regarded. And then Washington felt like they could discard him. And he stunk that first full year with the White Sox. He's just, he's an incredible story. So I, I was happy for him. And I love that Seinfeld connection to his grandfather uh, playing Susan Ross's dad on the show. So I found out it was a no-hitter about the seventh inning. I was watching the Cubs. I thought, well, they suck tonight. I'm in Virginia, but I have MLB TV. So I figured, let's watch this. And I only saw the last few innings, but the Pirates looked lost. But when I saw that final at bat, I thought that might be it. But they got it. Pirates are pretty miserable, but it's still, uh, you know, it, it's not like he, you know, 13 strikeouts, uh, 30 swings and misses, which is uh, a ridiculous number. I, you know, I saw the stat that it's uh, since 88, it's the second most in a no-no behind Nolan Ryan's. Someone tweeted me beside, uh, behind Nolan Ryan's, I think last one in 1990. Somebody tweeted me that. Uh, Woody, Kerry Wood in the 20 strikeout game had 45. Like, wow. I don't know if that's true. I should double check it, but if that's the case, that's obscene. Um, and I guess it could be struck out 20. I don't know, but I mean, like, it, that's just remarkable. But yeah, I mean, he completely and thoroughly dominated that lineup in just about every way. There really weren't that many hard hit balls. I missed the first couple innings. My son had a baseball game. So I jumped in. By the time I got home, it was like third inning, maybe. And so I even missed the first couple, uh, but there just there weren't that many hard hit balls, and he absolutely destroyed them. So pirates, no pirates, yeah. no hitter. The only no hitter I've seen live was when I was interning with the Augusta Green Jackets in 2016, and one of our guys threw one. I haven't seen any others live, so really cool to witness that. And I believe it was a double header, so it was one of those seven inning games. Just thinking about some of the top pitching matchups I've seen, in 2015, I saw Granke against uh, Scherzer here in D.C., and Granke was in the middle of that scoreless streak he had yeah. with the Dodgers. Now I want to get your thoughts on Cubs and White Sox. I know Sox fans get tired of Cubs comparisons, but the team has that 2015 Cubs vibe. Lots of buzz and excitement going back to the offseason. What were your expectations of the Sox heading into the season? They're playing so well right now. They've got to be at least meeting your expectations, if not exceeding them. Maybe, maybe even a little bit better, to be honest. I mean, you know, like 
had we played a regular season here, I think I, I kind of pegged them somewhere around, you know, they'd probably be a 500 team. That'd be a pretty dramatic improvement from last year, a very impressive improvement from what they were just two years ago. So as they ramp up in this rebuild, I figured it was time for them to at least be close. And if you're finishing the season with somewhere around 82, 83 wins, you know, you're, you're probably close most of the year. And I, I think I would have been happy with that. I mean, I guess you can never really tell and expectations can change, but in March, I think I would have been happy with that. And then they play a 60 game season or they're playing it. And you know, they're about 500 early on. And I'm thinking, well, I'm slightly upset, but maybe I shouldn't be because I figured that's what they'd be anyway. They've taken off here in the last 10 days. And so now I think expectations do change with eight playoff teams. There's no reason that they shouldn't be one of them. And they're sort of securely entrenched now in one of those spots. It would be catastrophic if you asked me if they, if they let that slip away. So you know, make the playoffs. Um, I, I'll take it any any way they do it. I'll take it, and it, you, know, you probably gain a little valuable experience anyway for the young guys, regardless of what happens uh, in in what's going to be a crazy postseason. But I'm enjoying the ride now for sure, and uh, the offense is is as impressive as I thought. I mean, the, the young guys can they can hit for sure. I mean, you, you, we can nitpick about being a little bit more patient, and maybe some of that comes. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're an exciting young team to watch right now for sure. And how can you not be excited? I mean, they've won, what, 9 out of 10 or something like that. They took out the first place Cubs. So going into the season, you know, a 60-game season, I thought maybe this benefits the Cubs. We've seen them have good stretches the past few years. They're a veteran team. We've seen them have good runs, obviously. And now the Sox are hot. Playoffs look to be in reach for both. Oh, yeah. From the Sox perspective, I keep thinking about Ricky. He went through this with the Cubs. What do you think about Renneria? And do you like him or still want to see how things kind of play out as they enter this contention window? I still think, yeah, see how it plays out. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced. There's still some things that Ricky does that drive me a little crazy. I, I don't know. I don't think he handled Sunday night uh, the, the or Sunday afternoon, I should say, the right way with these in the sixth inning. Um, I don't like, uh, I know their lineup is totally stacked. I get it. I don't think I, I like Luis Robert batting as low in the order as he is. Um, no, and Ricky's not bunting as much, which really drives me crazy. I am very, uh, I'm, I mean, I should say I'm anti-bunting. Bunting for a hit, squeeze plays, totally. Sacrifice bunting is absurd and insane. Um, you can hate me for that if you're old school, but I think it's ridiculous. So I'm very anti-sacrifice bunting, and Ricky's been in love with that the last couple of years, and that always drives me crazy. But he's not doing that as much. I think he is sort of adapting to what he has in this lineup now, and maybe he just felt like, you know, th- th- those offenses were putrid, you know, before uh, this year. So maybe he he felt like it was our only way to score, but I, I don't like it in principle. But, uh, yeah, I still kind of think that they're – keeping one eye open in case some other candidate really blows them away or, or becomes available to them. I, I would, I would think that they're still sort of kind of closely monitoring that situation, regardless of the extension they gave them. Uh, I guess that was what that was. They gave him an extension, which seemed a crazy at the time, but I, I still don't think it's the kind of money that would turn them away from if a, if a potential candidate that they love suddenly becomes available. I don't think it's something preclude them from going after him. Let's put it that way. Definitely. Just like the Cubs. I mean, Madden was right there. Right there. So talking about the Cubs, what do you make of them? They're in first place, but the offense is so inconsistent since 2017. They're a flawed team. Maybe Ian Happ is bringing stability to the leadoff role, but you have the Chris Bryant situation. And, you know, I always go back to the Jim Hendry days with the, with the injuries with this team, where it seems like they wait forever to put guys on the IL. And then we find out the seriousness of the injuries later on. 
you know, Bryant's got to be healthy. So many of these guys, but the offense, they score 10, they get shut out the next day. It's just hard to make a, it's hard to figure out this team. I don't get them. I mean, I really don't. I, and I'm not the only one. I, people smarter than us when it comes to baseball, I, I don't even think they can figure it out. They're, they're a tough one uh, because they, you know, you've got these players with experience that have been there, done that. Um, you've got guys with pretty good track records, but for whatever reason, especially in this last, really in this last year, the inconsistencies are uh, sort of mind-boggling. I mean, you know, Bryant, even before the injury, did not get off to a good start this year. Uh, and then, you know, they can't really keep him in the lineup right now. Uh, Contreras got off to a good start, but he is really cooled off. Baez, you know, you're going to ride the high of Baez. It's just the way this is profile. I mean, you got to sort of accept that. Um, Hayward, too. I, I, you know, anybody that expected too much offensively from the word go was probably, you know, they needed to recalibrate, I think, their expectations for Jason Hayward. But there are certain guys in this lineup that you just expect to be more productive, to hit the ball out of the park more, and they just don't. And I, I really, I'm, I'm just as lost as everybody else, the people that are always around this team, very smart baseball people. I don't think anybody's got a good explanation. I hear they press too much or they put too much pressure on themselves. I don't get it. I mean, this is a team with the boatload of playoff experience first place team 90 win teams a world series like what are they not handling well anymore in terms of i, I just i don't i don't understand they are they're a real mystery offensively and i will take theo in that front office even with some of the missteps the last few few years and i don't know if that's ricketts and you know what not spending i feel like part of theo's achilles heel is building upon a contender we, we know he can build them from the ground up but you know, maybe other teams have caught up to Theo and his genius. And, you know, it's, it's just hard to know what to make of this team. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, they, they got up to – they built themselves such a nice cushion. Um, I, you know, I just don't see any way that they don't. And you still have – you know, you still have you the way he's been going. You still have Hendricks. Lester is going to be another one of those guys that his point is probably going to give you a few good ones and a few bad ones. Lester just doesn't miss bats enough anymore. Um, and, you know, not to say that, that you still can't succeed in this league – by not always missing bats. Dallas Keuchel doesn't miss bats. He misses bats at a less, <laughs> at a more infrequent rate, I guess I'd say, that you'd say than, than Lester, and he's having a terrific year, but he does still keep the ball down and generates a lot of ground balls. And if that's not happening for John, it's going to be a struggle like we've seen in the last couple. So, but, but even, even with that, I mean, he's probably going to still give you enough good ones where your top three on most days or going into most series, I should say, you feel good about. And so they're, they're going to make the postseason. Maybe they get hot. I know we kind of have said that the last couple of years. I think Cubs saying that in 18. You know, like, well, as long as they get in, they'll get hot. And the end of the season was abysmal, and they did nothing offensively in that game against the Milwaukee Brewers. And, you know, the rest is uh, in, in both games, right, against the Brewers. And, and the rest is history. Um, so they're, they are. They're a tough they're, – they're just a tough offense to figure out. They're going to make it. I think you're right about Theo. He can build a team. They seem to struggle after that. They're, they're – He's definitely lost an advantage that he once had in terms of analytics and everything. Sort of, yeah. yeah, on the forefront of analytics and in the international market and in the draft. They lost they, they they got they got clipped badly when they changed the draft rules too, when they, they started penalizing for going over the they could just find six round picks and throw them gobs of money and they sort of aim the system that way. And you can't do that anymore. Jerry Reinsdorf was a big driving force behind changing those rules. And they definitely lost an advantage that they had when they were in Boston because they had, they, they had the scouting support um, to identify guys. And they had the, the pot when, when Henry was still spending money, 
they had the pockets to be able to say, we'll draft you here, but then we're going to pay you this amount. And we're going to go over a lot. You just can't do that anymore. And so they've definitely lost some of the advantages that they once had. There's no doubt. And sure, they can get free agents, but you think about the international drafting, so many deep prospect pools and so many stars and where a majority of the farm systems kind of come about now. And I know some people go, you know, how do you trade Torres for Chapman? But you got the World Series. You got to do what you got to do. We'll take that. It's, it's a lot harder for Sox fans to make uh, Tatis for James Shields. I mean, at least you both series out of it. But the Tatis thing is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we should go so crazy because it's like the kids played 115 games. But through those 115 games, uh, I'd say that it's certainly trending to the worst trade in Major League Baseball history. And uh, that's never good to be on the wrong side of that one. Well, you won the Eloy trade. And I mean, in 2017, I thought, you know, Quintana was a necessity. He pitched well. They got to the playoffs. But I know Cap is not a huge Quintana guy. Even if they did still have Eloy, I guess he could be the Cubs DH. I know left field isn't really going so high right now. Maybe going forward. At some point, they're going to squeeze that DH in in the National League. It's going to happen. So I know being a Sox fan, you were used to the DH. But what are your thoughts on the DH being universal now and the extra inning rules? I don't I, the extra inning thing is I can, and I get it for this year for sure. I can kind of go both ways on this. I mean, I do think, you know, you get into 12, 13, 14 inning games. And I think it's just devastating for a team. I think it's devastating on a bullpen. I think general managers and managers absolutely hate it. Uh, Jed Hoyer told us that even I don't know, it was like three or four years ago, we were joking and thinking about a 14 inning game and what it does to a pitching staff. I mean, it's just like, so, but I, the counter to that is, Believe it or not, those are rare. I mean, if you add it up, the 2,000 games or whatever it is that's played over a full season, it's like a very minuscule number that ever go beyond the 12th inning. And I kind of get both sides of the argument there a little bit. I, I guess I don't care too much one way or another. Um, and this year, I do. I was saying in this truncated season, they should just have ties, to be honest. And forget it. It's a crazy year. Hopefully it's a one-off. Scrap it. Why in a 60-game season – do you even want to play extra innings at all? So I guess this is the best way to sort of compromise. At least it, uh, it, it does shorten the game by putting a runner at second. I don't mind this hitting double headers. I think that's a necessity. I wouldn't do that under normal circumstances, obviously. But I do, and I know you were worked in the minors, so that's the way it goes in the minor world. But this, it's an absolute, anybody that's pitching and complaining now about seven inning double headers, give me a break. There, there's no other way to do this right now. You've got to do seven double headers this year. Now, shifting to the Bears, I listen to ESPN 1000, so I know everybody's thoughts on the quarterback, but my question to you is, with the season so close, will it be Foles or will it be Trubisky? I think it's going to be Nick Foles. I mean, I've been saying that since the minute they got him. I mean, it just it, it doesn't seem like they would have handled uh, a free agency the way they did if Matt Nagy was still convinced and sold Trubisky, and I think um, it's been pretty well documented, even going back to points last year, the Saints game, the Chargers game the Rams game where uh, they just, I think they really like Mitch, but they've lost faith, faith in him. And I think Matt Nagy certainly has. Um, I, I don't think he, he wants him running his offense, especially when they kind of have to bounce back. But these coaches know turnovers quick in the NFL. They, they don't get the benefit of six, seven, eight years. They might not get the benefit of four years anymore in the NFL. Let's face it. So they know the pressure that's on them. Um, I think he wants to show everybody that his offense does work and that he can't succeed in this role. And I think he knows he needs a better quarterback. And that's why they went out. They got Nick. I, I, I just would be very shocked. Now, 
you know, with COVID and everything and, and limited practice time and Nick Foles not being able to practice with his guys at all up until what he's had nine practices, I think now, maybe after today, eight or nine practices with his team. And like you said, the season starts in a couple of weeks. That's kind of crazy. Um, starts in two and a half weeks. And so if there's anything working in Mitch's favor here, it's that. But even to me, to me, that even that's a long shot. And, and every little nugget of information that I've gotten, I won't pretend like I'm totally plugged in um, up there anymore, but I still hear things from time to time. And every little bit of nugget, uh, every little nugget of information I have received in the last couple of weeks clearly indicates that Matt Nagy wants Nick Foles to be the starting quarterback. And I, I'd say I'm probably, I don't know, 75 to 80% sure that that's going to happen. I know the station favorite, Greg Braggs, loves Trubisky. Oh, yeah. Greg loves Trubisky. <laughs> and I know Black and Abdallah's thoughts, you know, the stats don't lie. When I hear Nagy talk about the quarterbacks, he knows Trubisky is trying to be better, but it feels like he's scratching and clawing to find something nice to say about him or at least making it sound like neither Trubisky nor Foles have an edge on the other. I mean, he knows Trubisky needs that positive reinforcement, and if there was anything outstanding to say, he would acknowledge that. I mean, they all, by all accounts, Mitch... Is, is a fine young man. He does work hard. He cares. He, I just don't think he's all that good. I think the, like you're going wild. I always say like the coaches know what the players can and can't do. And I think they look at him right now and there are too many things he can't do in this offense. Um, and it's holding them back. And I think it's whole, and Nagy feels like it's holding him back. And so look, he, what's going to be on him now. Okay. So now you got Foles. You got a guy who knows the offense. Let's see how different it looks. Um, let's see if you're going to be, I don't want to say dramatically better because I don't believe in Nick Foles that much either, to be honest. But can you be better? And can you, they were about as bad as you could be offensively last year and they still won eight games. All right. And let's say the defense bounces back a little, because it was a little bit off from where they were in 2018 last year. If the defense is even a little bit better from last year, like if your offense isn't, if it's 25% better, aren't you a 10 win team? You know what I mean? Like, we're probably a playoff team then. Uh, they were as bad as bad can be, and they still were a 500 team. You know, if Foles is good enough with that defense, they probably have a shot around 10 wins. I mean, I think he can at least manage the game enough to put points up on the board. We'll see how it plays out. It's just weird how this year has been going. And do you think they'll even get the whole 16-game schedule in? No, I mean, I, I, you know, like they've got so much on the line, um, and they've got so much at stake. I think, like, if I had to guess right now, like, okay, you've got to pick one. I think I'd still say that they, they'll get it all in. But, man, it, there are other times when it's like, God, it's going to be hard. I don't know. I Like, I think they'll find a way to navigate it. Maybe not ever. I mean, who knows? Maybe something like baseball happens. Maybe for a week or two. Uh, I, I don't even know. I mean, it'd be so hard to make up those games, obviously. I don't know when you do that. I don't know if they build some time in for that right after the regular season even a contingency for them like hey we might have to start the postseason two weeks later just in case we need to make up a game or two if, if it if it hits a team I don't know I mean I if I'm the NFL I'm thinking about all these things like they definitely have a lot on the line and I think they're going to do their best to get it in so I, I guess I'd say they'll play all 16 I've been saying for weeks if I'm the NFL I've got a bubble locked and loaded for the playoffs there is no way and I think baseball too I don't think that way they should be uh you know having any other plan uh, besides a bubble for their postseasons. I think the NBA and the NHL have proven that it can work. Um, I get that these teams probably can't do it throughout 
the, the entirety of their season because it, it's just, it's too much, but come playoff time and you, you, you're limiting your pool. I think they should have bubble plans locked and loaded for uh, the fall and winter in baseball. And- right. The bubbles are working in the NHL and the NBA, no cases. It'll be interesting. And I, I don't think there's going to be fans, but yeah, I, I thought the weirdest thing about this year was Kobe. I feel like the world went to hell after Kobe and then Brady to the Buccaneers and, you know, so much has happened obviously since then, but uh, it sounds like the talking about Tampa, it sounds like things are going well down there. Brady is practicing with his teammates and Bruce Arians has been raving about Tom Brady. I mean, like, and uh, it's just effusive praise every day. It seems like the weapons they have are impressive. I mean, they were terrific last year, James, they were think about all the games they were in and I'm trying to go off recall. Now I want to say the bucks were seven and nine last year. Is that right? I think something were, like that. Yeah. You know, all of the like one score games they were in and lost. And you know, you had a quarterback that turned it over at a near historic rate. I mean, James had, I don't know, 30, 30 overs, whatever it was like about that in all those close games. I mean, their offense is, Flat out legit. Um, and there are weapons galore, even if Gronk doesn't even look anything close to, you know, the old Gronk. I mean, there are so many weapons down there. I think Bruce Arians is great. Uh, I, you know, I, I, they're going to be a tough team. I, re- I, really think, uh, I really think they're going to have something to say about that division. Um, I just think they can potentially be that good. And Brady's got a lot to prove. And, you know. He's, he's not one to doubt, I guess, at this point. Uh, I'll, I'll, I've always said, Waddle and I always joke about this, like, I'll be... One year late than one... Oh, with Tom Brady, I'd rather be one year late. Like, he made me like, I'm not going to prematurely call his demise. Like, when he finally stinks someday, you can say, I told you so. I'd be like, yeah, finally it happened. I'm just not going to predict his demise. He's, he's been too good, too consistent, and he's, like, fanatic about proving to everybody that he can still play at a really high level. So mentally he's there physically, he still looks good. And I think they're going to be a good team in Tampa. I think they could be a playoff team, but we'll see. It's going to be a tough division. So I know you're a big hockey guy. We didn't see playoffs for the Blackhawks, you know, back in the early part of the year, but then everything happened with the pause and then the bubble. So they got through Edmonton, but Vegas was a tough draw. I did not see them getting through the golden Knights. Uh, now the Hawks, you know, they have defensive issues. They got to figure out the goaltender. People are wondering about the features of Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton. You know, should he still be the coach? What's what do you think? I'm not as down on Colleton probably as, as a lot of other Hawks fans are. Um, and yeah. I think that you could certainly pick a few things out here and say, um, you know, that he, the idea that he wanted to come in and completely change their defensive system for a team that really doesn't have the kind of personnel to maybe play that man-to-man style that could be called into question. Um, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever get the decision to be playing John Quinville in, uh, in an elimination game. I mean, unless he was in some sort of a statement, uh, but he seemed to support Nylander a lot of the year. I mean, they gave him a lot of rope. They gave him a lot of opportunity and he really did nothing with it. Let's face it. Um, I mean, he had the opportunity of playing with some truly elite players. It's not like he did much offensively throughout the course of the year. Uh, I thought his performance in, in, in uh, the bubble was uh, horrendous, quite, quite frankly. Um, I still don't get some of Carlton's decision-making in that do-or-die game, though. But, you know, even with all that, I'm probably not as down on him as others. I still think this team kind of plays hard and has some moxie. Maybe that says more about Taves and Kane and Keith and the guys they have in the room than the coach. But... Um, you know, I don't think they at any point totally turned on Jeremy Colleton, and that's probably a good sign. They, they, their problems are their personnel. Let's face it, though. I mean, 
you don't know who the goalie is, like you said. I don't know that they can even think about paying Corey Crawford unless he really gives them a big time discount. He's gonna slash. He's gonna have to slash his salary in half, maybe more. And and if Corey's willing to do that on a short term deal, maybe you think about it. But it doesn't solve their problems. Um, they're still gonna have the same defensive problems without a massive overhaul that they had last year and the year before. I don't see Ian Mitchell coming in and saving the day. It's just probably not going to happen. They are a complete disaster defensively. And I've said for two years now, they are watching them in their own zone uh, is painful. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. It just is. They are, they're a disaster in their own end. And until they clean those things up, the Hawks are going to struggle. No amount of offense, no amount of great goaltending is going to be able to, you know, get them to be um, a, a, a legit playoff contender, in my opinion. Until they fix those issues. And it reminds me of what you say about running backs. You know, don't overpay for a running back. And that's kind of what I think about with goalies. I, so I write for the Blue Jackets SB Nation page. And we went through that with Bobrovsky. And we saw how the team did with Corpusalo and Elvis this year. And, you know, Bob earned that Florida deal. But Columbus just didn't have to be that team to pay him. And now Braden Holpe is the next big goalie to get a deal. But paying goalies just never seems to go the way you expect. Yeah. The era, like the era, the the dominant, you know, long term, like having one dominant goalie for like an extended period of time seems to be, seems to be done in the NHL. I mean, like, like Carey Price is still having, I, there haven't been too many ups and downs in Carey Price's career. He might be the exception to the rule. Maybe Pecorino. I don't, but I even, it's just like the, the Brodeurs and the Waz and the Hats of the world, right? Like, it's just, it seems like, Teams have taken a different approach now. Um, they're all huge. They're all enormous. You know, you could find a 6'5 guy who's 240 pounds and put him in the net. And, you know, you say, go stand on your head for us. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I There's like, it's just, it's hard to figure from year to year, it seems like. I mean, look at Jordan Bennington. I mean, great as he was last year, he was absolutely horrific for St. Louis down the stretch and in the bubble this year. It's like... How does, and, and he's not the only one. I don't, I don't mean to single or pick, you know, like pick on him, but you make a good point about Bobrovsky. It was like, they probably did the right thing. And Columbus still was, you know, in the playoffs, giving a great Tampa team, um, you know, a little bit of a fight, you know, let's face it. So I think you're right. I'd like be careful with paying goalies. The, the Hawks can't afford to pay one anyway. You know, like I said, if, if, if Crow wants to slash his salary in half on a short-term deal, yeah, I'd probably think about that, but the idea of paying Crawford or anybody else at this point five or six million dollars, I don't, I don't think that it's just not in the cards for the Blackhawks, and it probably shouldn't be in the cards for many teams in the NHL anymore. And ironically, you know, enough both power plays for the Jackets and the Hawks are awful. You know, I see people on Twitter go, you know, is is there any power play worse than the Blackhawks? And I'm like, yep, right here, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, we were talking the other day, we do our uh, Blue Jackets podcast on, on the SB Nation side, and, you know, we don't want to trade a guy like Zach Barinsky, but it's like, maybe he's the one big trade chip to get another offensive force, basically, you know, a Panarin. We could both use Panarin, right? right. But we, we both need Panarin. <laughs> they need offense. They grind their way. They have goaltending and defense, but offense is their, you know, their weakness. The most important thing of a good power play, too, is everybody thinks that, well, look at all the great offensive talent or the great scores that Columbus has or that the Hawks have. Like, why aren't they better on the power play with Taves and Kane and Kubalik or when? And they were pretty good with Panarin was here. Guys like Panarin can make a big difference, but it's that offensive. It's, it's that it's that 
defenseman that can be offensive on the power play. I mean, it's that that heavy, hard shot, the guy that's skillful enough to walk the line back and forth and quarterback the power play. I mean, those types of defensemen are the ones that really make a power play go. So you could have all that other great offensive talent out there. You could have all the great wings, great centermen you want. But if you're lacking that, it's tough, man. And the Hawks really haven't had it the last couple of years with Seabrook's decline. As great as Duncan Keith has been, and he's going to the Hall of Fame, like that was never really Duncan Keith. He doesn't have that real heavy shot. He's not that, you know, he wasn't the kind of guy that could totally command and control the power play from the point, even in his prime. Um, he was never really that guy. You know, Soupy Campbell was pretty good at it. Seabrook had that big, heavy shot that they'd use. Um, but without that, man, power plays can struggle. They really can. Like, no amount of great wing talent sometimes can value out if you don't have that guy who can quarterback it from the top. And I, I, I don't, and you follow Columbus certainly much more closely than I do. I, I can't speak to that. I mean, Warinsky, I, I think, is he's still very young, too. I was, I can't speak if that's his game or not specifically, but from the Hawks perspective, they just don't have it. And until they clean up all those issues defensively, like really truly getting guys that can skate them out of trouble and make smart plays in their defensive zone and find that, that, that defenseman that can kind of quarterback um, and piggyback a uh, really quarterback their, their power play. Th- those are the issues that are going to continue to plague them. If you ask me. Yeah, and Columbus has tried different coaches for the power play. You know, Martin St. Louis came in, uh, but Varensky is definitely among the leading point scorers, not just for the, uh, not just among D-men, but for that team in general, which kind of tells you all you need to know there. Uh, as great as Varensky is, you know, the team definitely needs offense from their forwards. But we'll see if both teams can kind of continue to trend upwards, and at least the Hawks have three cuffs. Yeah, the Hawks have three cups, so I, I can't complain too much. I'm going to get at least, like, sort of have a shot at another while Taves and Kane are still really good. Well, they're, they're wasting years here. It's it's crazy to think that those guys won their last cup when they were, like, 27. Oh, wow. Five I mean, years, like, six years ago, yeah. Think about that. I mean, you think when they were 26, 27 years old and they won a third, we all probably would have said, oh, they're going to get another one at some point. They're 26 and 27, and it's been – they haven't been close, you know, since 2015 – they haven't won a playoff series. They got, they got, they lost, um, and they lost the next year in 16. They lost in seven in the first round to uh, the blues. They lost in overtime. And then the next year they got swept by, by Nashville. And it's been pretty ugly since. Yeah. The Hawks were always kind of my playoff team. I followed them before Columbus had a team. So they were always, I always gave them the benefit of the doubt during that contention window. And then that Nashville series came and they score what, like four goals all series. Yeah, I think there were two. I think they might have goals in that series. I think they, I think management overreacted. Um, and, you know, Panarin gets shipped off to Columbus and Saad comes back, which I actually thought would help Taves at the time, but it doesn't matter what I, I'm not running things. I mean, like back on it now, I, I think, you know, you can make a pretty convincing argument that management really overreacted to that. And the team has just simply not been the same. They, they, they had no business in the playoffs this year. Let's face it. Like you said, if not for uh, COVID and the way they, they restarted, the Hawks had no business in the playoffs this year. They would have lost. They would have been out of the playoffs three straight years since then. So it's been pretty ugly. Got to get to the Bulls real fast. So obviously Jim Boylan is gone. The front office is in place. I don't know how the off is going to go, obviously. But do you think this team could be an eight seed type of a team next year? 
No, I'm not willing to go there because I don't know what they're going to look like. I think you got to give AK and you got to give Eversley a chance here to see. Uh, they might not like anybody on this team. I mean, they might want to totally start over. Maybe they just think Markinen is a guy they can build around. Maybe they don't think they can build around any of them. Maybe there are rumors that they've been shopping Zach Levine. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's way too early to tell. Um, you know, with the right coach, if let's say they keep these guys and this is the team, um, could they be an eight seed? You know, with the right coach, maybe with Zach, with Kobe, with Lowry, if, if a coach can kind of figure out what Jim Boylan couldn't and really kind of bring more out of Lowry than anybody else. I mean, that's like Lowry marketing is the key. If they can find a way to um, flip the trend here with Lowry and get him going back on an upward trajectory, maybe. But I don't know. I mean, you know, the East is still probably, you know, you're, you're weaker the two and you could get in as a sub 500 team. So maybe, but I'm not, I think they could look drastically different by the time they restart again, whenever the heck that is, because, you know, AK might want to blow the whole thing up. We'll have to wait and see on that. And I guess it's the next season might start around January. I mean, we don't even know. I don't even think they know. So I got to say, you seem super chill and cool. I, I like the contrasting styles between you and Yurko. You complement each other nicely. You know, for lack of a better phrase, you know, Yurko kind of has a gruff football exterior. But yeah, I always thought you seemed like a really chill, cool dude. I like, you know, I like what you guys do. Right. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for always interacting on Twitter. It's fun. Oh, yeah. I love interacting. All you guys are awesome. I've talked to Black Abdallah, Cat Merkin. Love, love the bits and the banter. It's awesome. We appreciate you. Thanks, man. So real quick, is that your home office or your work office? I know people won't be able to see this on the pod, but I, I just had to know. This is downstairs in my basement. I have like what I like to call a man corner. Um, you know, it's mostly run around uh, the basement um, and destroy things. But no, yeah, I've kind of got this little corner down here and I've, I've got uh, the bar, uh, my small little bar uh, area where I keep all the, or at least most of the bourbon uh, in the collection on the other side but yeah this is uh like the little man corner i like to say so definitely i love that i love the pictures got a couple of nice chairs you know he could sit around drink some bourbon I <laughs> nice yeah I mean, it's all good <laughs> well i really appreciate this it was great talking with you and i hope you have a great rest of the day and a great week thanks will all right i'll catch you later Thanks to Carmen DeFalco for coming on to the Cutting to the Chase podcast. As always, you can check it out across Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes. Give me your feedback. Leave five stars. You know, I'm always trying to get, you know, awesome guests and interviews and things like that. So, yeah, I'm always open to feedback and I will catch you next time.